Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, November 10th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. On today's show, star columnist Sam McDowell and beat writers Jesse Newell and Herbie Teope tell me why I'm wrong about my feeling that Chiefs fans should be more concerned about the team's efforts against the Titans than in the game against the Bills earlier this season. Keep in mind, the Chiefs beat the Titans, but lost to Buffalo. We have plenty more to say about the Chiefs, including how they're handling the running back situation. Plenty of good stuff on today's show that started as a Sports Beat Live. Let's get started. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Sports Beat Live. Uh, we're coming to you from Kansas City, where uh, it's going to turn from fall to winter today. And um, we are uh, we, we are talking Chiefs, as we always do, and we want to talk Chiefs with you. So send us your questions and comments, and we'll get to them uh, uh, as soon as we can. We have Sam McDowell and Herbie Teope here. Um, looking for one or two more to join us at some point. We'll see what happens. And um, But mostly, we want to hear from you. So, again, send us your questions, comments. We'll talk Chiefs who play the Jaguars at noon on Sunday at G-E-H-A Field at Arrowhead Stadium. Um, so, guys, here's the thing. I do want to talk about the Jaguars, and we will talk about the Jaguars. But, Sam, I'm glad you're here because you were not part of the discussion we had previously. And and I want I want you guys to tell me why I felt better about the Chiefs after their loss to the Bills than I did about their victory over the Tennessee Titans. Does that make any sense to you? I, I, I if, if I'm a Titans fan, I'm feeling good about – the, the the way that that game I didn't like the loss but feeling confident about the way that um, uh, the Titans game planned and schemed and, um, and 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 just played against the Chiefs. Listen, I know that we talked about it a lot after the after the game, but uh, but the more I think about it, the, the more I have um, I, I have I have trouble with the game. I'm glad Jesse has joined us here. Um, so Sam. Am, am I wrong? Am I off base? Is this a is this a bad take from me? I really think that like this is a sort of a test of optimism versus pessimism here because like the the pessimism is just how bad the Chiefs were for two and a half quarters in that game, um, and the pessimism is I really think that this is the type of scheme, the type of defense that the Chiefs are going to see in January. There's only a few teams that I think are capable of playing it. You know, the the physical man-to-man on the back end, only rushing four all day. But it was it, it's been effective, the teams that who have. So the good news is the Chiefs saw it, and we know Andy Reid adjusts well to, to what he sees throughout the season. You know, I think it was a misconception last year that the Chiefs never adjusted to the cover two. They did. They saw something different in the AFC Championship against the Bengals, which more resembled actually a little bit what we saw from the Titans. The other piece of good news is I thought Patrick Mahomes played much better against it than he has in the past against these no-blitz defenses. And the supporting cast just didn't help him at all. You know, I mean, you go through that game and try and think of the guys who played well offensively, like Patrick Mahomes raises his hand, Maybe Noah Gray does too, but not a lot of other key players are saying, yeah, I played really well on, on Sunday. So 
I do think it could be a case of a bad game, but like I said, I and I wrote people talk about a playoff like atmosphere. This was a playoff like game plan from the Titans. Like this is more of what the Chiefs will see moving forward. And for a while now, we've been interested to see how teams will defend the Chiefs and these new weapons. And I think now we have our answer. So take that game plan and execution by the Titans on the defensive side and give them Ryan Tannehill. And I don't care where the game is played. I just don't like what I would, I don't think I'd like what I would see there. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, that game just left me, just left me puzzled uh, by the Chiefs. And Sam, I think you're absolutely right about how um, really few others, came to play Travis Kelsey among them who had you know, several drops in, in the game. Um, I thought Juju Smith-Schuster actually played pretty well uh, for the game, but, but the offensive line poorly played poorly. Trey, you know, Trey Smith probably had his worst game uh, as, as a, you know, in chief's uniform. So just, just totally bothered by what the Titans uh, did to them. Um, yeah, again, I think if you're a Titans fan, you feel the way you do. You feel probably the same way Chiefs fans felt after the Buffalo game. Yeah, yeah we play them again, and uh, and Chiefs have had a habit in the in the Patrick Mahomes era of beating teams in the playoffs that defeated them during the regular season. Um, the you know in the, in the Super Bowl year, the both the teams that they played in the in the playoffs that year, what the 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 Titans and the uh, and the Houston Texans had defeated the Chiefs in the regular season, and of course last year Buffalo did the, you know, came to Arrowhead and and, and walloped the Chiefs, and Chiefs got them back in the playoffs. So, you know, I think that was part of my thinking after Buffalo, and um, I, you know, so anyway, that's well, we'll leave it at that, and and, and get on to the, the the business of the Jaguars. Herbie, who's um, I'm a little concerned about this McCole Hardman uh, abdomen injury. How did that happen, and what's the status on McCole Hardman? That's an interesting question there because we specifically we don't know when it happened. You know, we, he did finish the game against the Titans, showed up yesterday uh, for practice. Well, we went out there, and all of a sudden he's there. Andy Reid says he's dealing with some abdominal soreness. They're running some tests. So he's going through an evaluation right now. The good news is – you know, you have Kadarius Toney, who only played nine snaps against the Titans, but, you know, Reed has has emphasized this week at least twice already, Monday and Wednesday, that they do plan to work him in more. So if if, if Hardman misses practice on Thursday and then, you know, that, that leaves his status in doubt, uh, you know, they do they are covered with depth. Yeah, they are. Hardman has certainly has played well these last couple of games. Uh, at San Francisco, he was terrific and caught a couple of, you know, had a couple of big moments against the Titans as well. Uh, let, let's stay with the position and talk a little bit about Kadarius Tony. Did he play more than we expected him to in the um, in the opener? I, you know, we were my, my thought when the Chiefs acquired him was this was a guy that um, uh, it'd take him a while to get up to speed and um, and on the first snap, the ball goes to him, and he actually makes a, a good play later in the you know in the, in the um, uh, in, in the game. So. Uh, can we see – you think we'll see more and more of him blending into the offense, Jesse? Well, I think right now he's basically a gadget player because you basically have a few plays you can run for him. So you're not giving him the full playbook. There's no way to ingest the full Andy Reid playbook. I mean, the best comparison we have is basically Josh Gordon from a year ago, right? I mean, did he ever really kind of get in with the offense? I mean, 
right now is Sky more really in with the offense. So I, I think it's a pretty difficult task to ask him to uh, do a lot of things uh, for this offense moving forward. But back to your previous point, Blair, uh, you know, I, I think there's just different ways to look at this. I mean, you can frown about it if you want to, if you're the Chiefs. But, you know, I discovered a team in college basketball that a month before the season ended lost at TCU and the sky was falling and they couldn't guard and they couldn't do anything. And a month later they won the championship, you know, like things happen. Um, sometimes games go your way. Sometimes they don't. And this was a huge week for the chiefs. I mean, the bills lost the chiefs won a close game, however they got there. And now Josh Allen might be out for a while. And all of a sudden we're going from, okay, the chiefs gonna have to go to Buffalo. They're gonna have to win a game in the AFC championship to like, if Josh Allen is out a couple weeks, the Chiefs are probably the AFC favorite again. And if they're the AFC favorite, they're probably pretty close to the Super Bowl favorite. If you look at them and the Eagles potentially meeting up in the Super Bowl. So this was a big week for the Chiefs, and it just means that things can change over time. I mean, I expect, yeah, Kadarius Tony to be better for them late. I expect Sky Moore to be better for them late. I expect the weapons to be better as it as the Chiefs move forward. And for some of their defenders who are young, like Leo Chanel and George Karloftis, to be better in week 16, 17, 18. So um, yeah, you can look at this a lot of different ways, but this was a big week for the Chiefs if we just kind of zoom out on this and look from a, a really big picture perspective and that uh, it probably the season was kind of going to wind down. It looked like to the Chiefs being a five point, four point underdog playing at the Bills in the playoffs. Most likely that was the scenario to get to the Super Bowl and things might have switched with that Josh Allen injury and the Chiefs sort of holding serve at home. So we'll see how it plays out over the next few weeks. But I think it was a big development, and a big week for the Chiefs, pretty much no matter how they got there. You're just so positive, Jesse. I'm, I like that. Um, I like that about you. Um, you know, when the, the, the Chiefs tend to have a stinker during the season uh, under Mahomes, you can, you can suggest it was the Colts game earlier this year. The Colts, by the way, with new coach Jeff Saturday. What an interesting development that is. Um, and then, you know, I can think that we talked about the, you know, both the Colts and the Texans game in the, in the Super Bowl year and, uh, Raiders game at Arrowhead uh, in the in the Super Bowl loss season, so they've had those types of games. I don't remember thinking after those games that man, these Chiefs are in trouble. There seemed to be a reason, right? They either turned the ball over a ton, or they had some injuries. That especially in that uh, Super Bowl year, Tyreek Hill was out for uh, for the Colts game, and there were just some reasons why. Um, but I, I just felt differently after this one, I, and, and they won. <laughs> And the Chiefs won the game. They didn't. Uh, they, they, they didn't lose it. So um, I think other AFC teams are looking at Buffalo, the, the situation of Buffalo, the same way the Chiefs are as well. Yeah, and Blair too. I mean, they did have some games like that that had that feeling last year. I mean, there was over the middle of the season. You know, they barely beat Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers. They really struggled against the Giants on Monday Night Football. Um, they struggled to beat the Cowboys, who were missing all of their weapons. And I think that absorbed sort of the similar feeling because the reason was the same, which is the Chiefs were struggling to figure out what defenses were doing against right. them. And that's that's the sense that you had on Sunday was it was more of what the Titans were doing to them that, you know, can be replicated. Again, you've got to have the personnel to do it, but the teams that have the personnel to rush with four and have the big guys up front typically are the teams you're going to see late in the season and then into the postseason. Um, so I, I totally understand the sentiment um, and maybe the, and listen, it is reason to be a little bit more concerned than maybe you were going into that game. But I just think you give Andy Reed half a season to figure that out. Like I, I do think the Titans did them a little bit of a favor by putting that on film. 
the Chiefs are going to have a lot of time to adjust to it now. All those things you said, Sam, too, all those stinkers you talked about, that was after the Chiefs were three and four last year. And again, we're talking about the a team that ended up, again, they, they blew it. We know they blew it in the AFC Championship game, but we're talking about a team that was going to be a, was a seven-point favorite against Cincinnati at home and then going to be a four- or five-point favorite against the Rams in the Super Bowl. So all those things that happened, I guess, yeah, it's sort of first-world problems for the Chiefs. I mean, they're a really good football team. With the Bills taking a step back potentially without Allen, they could be considered the best football team. And the home field thing is, is really important, I think, because I do think at full strength the Bills are better than the Chiefs. But if you play that game at Arrowhead, you're starting to gain back three or four points. That becomes, as we saw earlier, like a pick em or a Bills by one rather than a Bills by five or six. So uh, the Chiefs are narrowing that gap in a weird way. But uh, all the same, if, if Allen's out a few weeks, then all of a sudden you're looking at this and going, uh, okay, uh, the Bills – we thought we we're going to win that game, might lose this game. And for all those things we talk about, the four defensive linemen and, and the Chiefs having to figure out offensively how to adjust. I mean, you look up, the Chiefs are, what, nine-and-a-half-point favorites against the Jaguars again this week. Their schedule lightens up down the stretch. So a lot of reasons to still like the Chiefs, and uh, they do have the ultimate cheat code. I mean, having Patrick Mahomes on your team is really, really valuable, and uh, they, they won that game last week because he just kind of willed them to figure out a way. But they get to have him as long as he's not hurt for – all these games so it's it's a really enviable spot for them to be in you know Blair the the one odd piece of this is that you probably feel better after that game than the last two times that you saw the Titans in the regular season I mean particularly last year that's as bad as I think we've ever seen Patrick Mahomes look the year before was the game in Tennessee where you felt like if one of like eight or nine things go right at the end of the game they probably win that game as well um and that was in the you know right after Patrick Mahomes had come back from an injury. So I do think the Chiefs have been in this situation before, particularly against this team. I was interested to see the Titans were only favored two and a half against the Broncos because it's sort of the betting market saying they thought Sunday's game was more about the Chiefs than it was the Titans then. Right, right. Hey, couple, we got a couple good questions I want to get to. Uh, but first, uh, Interesting. Uh, what the interesting matchup in this game, at least for, for, for me, is Andy Reid versus Doug Peterson. It's only happened one other time. Of course, Doug Peterson was with Andy Reid for many stretches of his career, including the first maybe seven seasons here in Kansas City. Herbie, you got a chance to uh, talk to Doug Peterson yesterday with other reporters, and what did what did Doug say about his, his matchup with with Andy Reid? And and also, what what is the Andy Reid seems to have enough success against his former assistant coaches? Yeah, coming into Sunday, Andy Reid is 17-9 and nine against his former assistants. You know, his coaching tree is pretty vast. Ron Rivera, Sean McDermott, uh, Harbaugh, Leslie Frazier, Brad Childress, and now Doug Peterson. You know, Peterson has been with Andy Reid since his playing days in Green Bay, you know, as a backup quarterback. Then he followed Andy Reid to Philadelphia as a, as a backup quarterback, actually started before McNabb. And then when his playing career was over, coached high school football, and then he joined Andy Reid's staff in 2009. Then he followed him here. He, Pete, Doug Peterson says, hey, look, you know, I, I owe a lot to Andy Reid. You know, I picked up so much, so many one-on-one -on -one sessions, so many meetings they spent together. They consider them, both the men are, you know, they consider each other good, close friends. But this is going to be a fun matchup. You know, Doug Peterson is well aware of the record. Yesterday he joked. You know, and I asked him about it. I was like, you know, what what goes behind that success? And Doug Peterson quips, well, he's he's just a better coach. Of course, he was joking about it, but, you know, he went into some of the things that Andy Reid has taught him and he's carried with him throughout his coaching career. So Reid, as we all know, he has deep ties with a lot of his 
former staffers, and they all always credit him for their success. Only took Doug Peterson a couple of years to get the Super Bowl victory. Took Andy considerably more time than that. But uh, each have won a Super Bowl, and uh, there'll be a lot of good feelings on the field before the game on on, on Sunday when when those two meet. So, um, yeah, that was that was an interesting story, and I'm glad Doug Peterson availed himself this week to uh, to reporters here. Okay, you're on Sportsbeat Live Talking Chiefs with the folks in the media who cover them best. And I want to get to a couple of questions, uh, good questions. Diane asks about Sky Moore. Um, Jesse, is there, um, is there a little concern about the development of Sky Moore? Uh, we certainly have concerns about his punt return prowess. But uh, as a wide receiver, what – uh, what do we make of Sky Moore's progress uh, to, to date? And I, I did expect a little bit more production from him uh, so far. Is he one of those guys that Sam said, you know, it, we, 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 you know actually you said this, uh, Jesse, about being, just being better in week 16, 17 than, than he is now? I think last week was the most concerning week for Sky, to be completely honest, because I've been on the Sky Moore bandwagon. You know, you look at the grades and some of the, People who study the film, he has great releases. He's been able to get open. It's just been kind of a, a snap count thing. He hasn't been out there that much. But uh, I'm more concerned because he had one of his worst games this past week. Plus, they added Kadarius Tony, And as you mentioned, Blair, they got Kadarius Tony snaps. Like, they got him touches, force-fed him that. And there's, like, nothing to keep them from doing that with Sky Moore. You know what I mean? Like, like if you bring in a guy this week and decide to use him for those snaps, you could have done that with another guy who you've had for longer. So, I think that's the most, this is the most concerning or the most concerned I've been about Sky Moore. Now, big picture, you look next year, Chiefs have a lot of guys they're probably going to have back. McCall Hardman, Juju Smith Schuster, uh, you know, Kadarius Tony will be, uh, Sky Moore will be, but potentially next year he could step into a much larger role. And maybe this is sort of like a redshirt year for him. But I did have high hopes for him toward the end of the season. I think this one gives me more pause with him because that was a game, as Sam said earlier, you know, Tennessee was playing a lot of man coverage. They were playing with their four rushers, but Mahomes is holding it, holding it, holding it. Why was he doing that? There was not separation, and Sky Moore was part of that problem for the Chiefs, along with other guys in there uh, who were sort of getting mauled by Tennessee, but sort of just not getting open on their own too. So, uh, yeah, I have more concerns about Sky Moore now than I did a week ago. I still think over time he will be a good player, but I think it is right and okay to question right now what the Chiefs think about him, especially with having Kadarius Tony now and trying to get him implemented in the offense. You know, I, I don't see Sky. Maybe this was this was happening earlier. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see Sky used on the jet sweeps and the you know, the, the end arounds, the the stuff that McCole Hardman has um, you know got into the end zone three times with against San Francisco. It's just you know, he was he was one of those guys in training camp we talked a lot about and, and had uh, kind of big expectations for. Just hasn't materialized for him yet. Um, so Rob asked if if, Nate, if if Andy saves certain plays and strategies for later in the season. I I think that um, he absolutely does. I, I think his success in November and December speak to um, some some different looks and schemes from the Chiefs in the latter part of the year. I also would think that the six straight division titles suggest that as well. That the Chiefs don't. We always talk about how well they start a season and Andy Reid and. You know how good he is early, and but the, the, he's uh, when you're when you're 12 and five every year or something like that. You're, I think they spread it out pretty well. And 
and it's funny, I just thought about this, that some of those sort of stinker games that I thought about earlier never seemed to happen at the end of the year. Those all happened in the first couple months of the season. So um, I, I think that, you know, he's got a pretty large playbook and it doesn't use it all, it doesn't, doesn't use it all early in the year. So, yeah, I think that he's got, um, uh, he's, he, leaves, he leaves some in the playbook for later in the year. The oddity, Blair, is a lot of times, like when we look back at the end of those seasons, we credit the defensive improvement for the reason the Chiefs get better late in the year. And this defense I do think is ahead of where the other Steve Spagnuolo defenses have been since 2019. Um, I mean, the Titans were playing Malik Willis at quarterback. I understand that. But you still got to stop them. And they allowed one first down in the last 10 drives of that game. Like, the reason the Chiefs have 500 yards of offense is because they run 91 plays because the defense <laughs> is off the field and three or four plays every time. So that that would be one point of optimism, I guess, if you're looking at that from the big picture. But when you talk about wide receivers, the one guy we really don't talk a ton about is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And he's the one guy who's here for a long-term contract. I mean, he's here for three years. And I think if you were a Chiefs fan, the guy you should be rooting for most to be productive right now is the guy who's going to be here three years. And there's some metrics out there. You know, ESPN does a, a, an analytical look at how frequently receivers get open. And there's no receiver in the NFL that has run more snaps that gets open fewer percentage of the time, less percentage of the time than Mark Valdez Scanlon. And those defenses that Jesse and I have mentioned, the man defense, part of it is because one of your top two receivers cannot get open against it. And so that's a problem that, you know, could be more longer lasting um, than some of these other things we've discussed. And just real quick, taking kind of the big picture view of this, I totally agree with you, Sam, about MVS. And it wasn't like he didn't get snapped. I think I saw that he had snap caps were somewhere in the 70s when they ran 90 plays. So he was out there a lot, only targeted once, had that one catch. Uh, a lot of the problems Mahomes is looking, looking, looking for open receivers. It's that they did not create separation in this particular game. It feels like we oscillate, don't we? Like, oh, they, they can't face man coverage, but the numbers say they're really good against man coverage. And then they have a game like San Francisco where they just constantly beat man coverage. And then you come back to Tennessee and they can't beat it. Again, part of this, I think, is Tennessee just completely mugged them at the line of scrimmage. And basically, it kind of had to look a little bit of a Bill Self defense back about 15 years ago where you just – you beat people up, you play physical, and you basically force the officials to blow their whistle or throw their flag 30 times a game. And at some point, it's it's really hard to do so. You saw it on the two-point conversions. I mean, the third two-point conversion, Tennessee held worse than did the first two. But the <laughs> officials are just sitting there like, are you going to make me throw another flag on you on Travis Kelsey? I mean, how many times are we going to half distance this to the goal until you stop holding? Uh, but the bigger picture, you know, that that is the Sky Moore thing. And with Sky Moore, um, I do want to at least mention, when the, when it comes to the snap count trends, his, from a rookie standpoint, if you look at some of the numbers out there, how much he's played, most closely lines up with Tyree Kill as a rookie. Like, out of all the receivers that Andy has had, how they integrated Tyree Kill in the offense and got him going. Now, there's similar dissimilarities there. You know, Tyree Kill was a sixth-round pick. This guy more and more expected of him. But it kind of goes back to the big-picture view, which just because he hasn't succeeded week nine into his rookie season does not completely keep him from being a really good player down the line. But that could be a solution as well if you're talking about that, Sam, because 
Sky Moore with his releases, with what we've seen from him on some of his routes. He can beat man coverage. It's a matter of getting him more comfortable and, and being able to be in sync with Patrick Mahomes. That has not happened as much lately, and that's why there has to be a little bit of concern about the receivers, at least this, this point in the season. Yeah, we, we spoke about this earlier, the, the great value of players like uh, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, and, of course, Tyreek Hill was – uh, when the play broke down, they all kind of knew where to go. And how many of Pringle and Robinson's you know, receptions came from plays that were when they weren't the you know they weren't the primary guys, and uh, and they were the the safety valves for for Mahomes. Uh, we we're not seeing that with MVS or Sky Moore yet. Uh, yet, and and you did references. Jesse is the MVS catch. That was a really nice catch he, he made, falling backwards, picking the ball basically off the ground before it hit the turf and kept a it was first down reception. So it was a really nice play from, from MVS. Okay, Sarah Ann asks about uh, Ronald Jones and a topic near and dear to Jesse's heart. Um, but it also allows us to, to talk about the running back position. That's That's been a big issue this week. Um, Chiefs running backs, four, uh, 14 yards on 12 carries against the Titans. We, we spoke about the offensive line play was, I thought, substandard against Tennessee. And, of course, Tennessee had a lot to do with that. But how concerned should the Chiefs be with uh, with the running back production? And is the three-headed you know, running back the way to go? And uh, is, is this happening because no one has really emerged or is this part of the game plan? Just Let's just untangle running back here. Um, and, and what, uh, uh, how, how concerning is this for the Chiefs? Sam, why don't you start off? Well, these are the guys they got. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's sort of, you know, usually running back doesn't uh, adopt the cliche of if, if you have more than one, you don't have a starter, but it does for the Chiefs. Like, if they had a guy, they'd be playing him. Andy Reid typically likes to play a guy and, you know, occasionally cycle in somebody else. So, to see him rotate three guys pretty evenly suggests that he doesn't have a ton of confidence in either. And I think if you ask for a scouting report <clears throat> on any of these three running backs, the first thing you would do is mention their weaknesses, not their strengths. And so that's a concern. With Jarek McKinnon, though, I think it's become clear that he's the guy when the Chiefs are in crunch time. And he's a veteran. He's a more veteran guy than Pacheco and, and Ed, Edwards Hilaire. And it leads me to believe that they're trying to save his health for the postseason. We saw, you know, last year he was the guy in the, in the playoffs. And I still think it could potentially be trending that direction to where the Chiefs just don't want to overuse him in the regular season because they think they will have to use him in the postseason because they're not getting a lot out of Pacheco and Edwards Hilaire. When you look at Pacheco in particular, there's this, you know, idea that he's this physical runner because he does run hard, but he doesn't break tackles. He doesn't force missed tackles a lot. Edwards Hilaire doesn't either. Um, they, they both often struggle just to go to the, uh, just to get the yards that are available on a play. I mean, forget getting the yards over expectation. They, they struggle to get the yards that are expected on a play. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's sort of a, a storyline that I think I, I've been saying since preseason that I didn't like the running backs that they have, and we're still there. And, you know, the offensive line I know didn't have a great day against Tennessee. Few offensive lines do. Um, but they still have been a top-10 run-blocking run blocking offensive line throughout the course of the season, and the running back production just, just hasn't matched that. 
Yeah, I mean, to get to Sarah's point real quickly, how, how does Rojo's request of a trade impact the, the locker room? Well, it's not good. I mean, that's the bottom line. You want everybody pulling the same direction. And uh, I, I think the best teams out there are the ones where everybody understands their individual role and kind of buys into the team aspect. Having said that, I mean, Rojo might have a point at this point. You know what I mean? Like, he's probably looking at it the same way we are, sort of like, can it be any worse? Like, can he come in and, and be worse than what they've had? <laughs> Now, I, I think Tennessee is an outlier because I went back and looked, Sam, and Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith both had their worst run blocking grades via PFF of their entire careers. So I'm putting this less on the running backs. I know there was a carry from Isaiah Pacheco where he did not hit the hole right, did not follow the correct block, and got stuffed at the line. But most times we're complaining about those guys having four yards blocked for them and getting four yards. This was not. This was getting stuffed at the line. I put this more on the offensive line, and I don't know where to – how to feel like maybe there was it looked like there was some sickness going around the chief's locker room. Maybe the offensive line was affected by that. Trey Smith previously had his best run blocking game of the season against the 49ers has a bye week and then has his worst. So I don't know how to feel about him. Obviously his sophomore year has not gone as well as his freshman year uh, in the pros, but you know, he was really good last year and he has battled injuries this year. Uh, but as, as far as the running backs go, yeah, I mean, I think they trust McKinnon. I think he's the security blanket. I think they believe that he can pass block and go out in routes. So I think they trust him for all situations. I think Clyde edwards right now is their best pass catcher out of the backfield. We kind of forget that because he was really good this year uh, earlier on at running those angle routes and getting yards upfield, but they haven't utilized him much with that. I think Pacheco is their best long-term guy. You mentioned his size and his strength. I think he's He's like, if you're not going to play Ronald Jones, he's the best Ronald Jones equivalent they have on the roster, but they don't trust him in pass protection and they don't trust him in the passing game. So what that leaves is when they get down, they go back to the security blanket. And that's been Jarek McKinnon. I, I don't know that he's their best back. I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I'm just being honest with you guys. I, I think he's a dude. I think he's a guy, but that probably describes the room at this time, which is nobody's emerged and nobody has really just taken that role by storm when really there's been all this opportunity for somebody to emerge and, and really stake claim on the role. So it's kind of left them cycling, but I would put most of this last game on the offensive line rather than the Titans. And that's something very rare that we would talk about when the chiefs, when it comes to run blocking, because typically they're really good. I will add, and I think Sam, you'll back me up on this, that when it comes to the postseason, Andy Reid tends to have led with one back. Uh, they may be, they may be sharing uh, snaps now, but you know whether it's you know Daryl Williams or Damian Williams, you know any of the in the past playoff seasons, um, they, they, it's it's one back that gets the, the the lion's share of the load, and so maybe maybe you guys are right that this is just a um, you know you're saving wear and tear on your backs by using them the way that they're being used now, and at the end, um, uh, one back will emerge. I agree with that, Blair, and that's why I think that McKinnon's most likely to be the guy because the only guy you're worried about saving wear and tear on is the guy who's been in the league for nine years. Like Isaiah Pacheco's a rookie. I think he improves with the more snaps he gets, so it doesn't make sense to save that there. Um, but the times where they you go to one back in a game where they stop cycling through guys are late and close, and it's always Jarek McKinnon. And so I just think it's trending towards him being the guy in the postseason. And, you know, you want to look at the backs as a whole. He was a free agent in the summer still. Like nobody was coming after Jarek McKinnon to sign him. And then the Chiefs came and scooped him up late because they had him last year and he was productive in the postseason. I think that suggests a lot about the quality of the backs. But to answer Sarah's question, yes, 
I mean, why not just try anybody else at this point? And Jesse outlined the strengths of Ronald Jones, what, back in March or so. Like, there is a strength there that is exactly what I don't think the Chiefs are, are getting enough out of, which is short yardage situations. I mean, Blair, how many times when the, the Chiefs have third and short do I look at you and it's like, well, it'd be better if they were third and four, third and five here probably <laughs> than, than third and one. Well, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, go ahead, yeah, Jesse. Yeah, the telltale sign was the Michael Burton run. He'd been successful 100% of the time in his Chiefs career getting that one, and they didn't get it in his last time. Um, having said that, I, I do want to caution, like this is Chiefs' first world problems, right? Like they've converted 50% of their third downs this year. Like It's second in the NFL. So they're, they're still pretty good. And if you could pick a really good pass game or a really good run game, you'd pick a really good pass game. You saw why this last game against Tennessee. I mean – Tennessee could run it for a little bit, but the Chiefs could pass it and figure it out a way down the stretch, and you have a great quarterback. So, uh, But I, I, the elephant in the room to me, Sam, is we talk about it. For us, it's real simple. Just elevate – well, not elevate, but he's on, on the active roster, but make Ronald Jones, put him in there, see what you got. Well, you've already got a fullback, and then you've already got your three running backs. Who are you deactivating on game day to have that happen? And what kind of statement is it, or can you do it, to Clyde Edwards-Alaire? You know what I mean? So – this is sort of the danger you get into when you draft a first-round running back is you are tied to that back. And right now, they can't cut Clyde Edwards-Alaire. They can't deactivate him on game day without it being a huge deal. So they're sort of just stuck with him on the roster. And, and that's sort of the opportunity cost we talk about when we talk about first-round running backs. You have to nail it. If you don't nail it, you are committing yourself to a resource. And right now, the Chiefs are committing themselves to this resource. It's probably the reason Ronald Jones is not in there. I think the Chiefs and Andy Reid are waiting for one of the running backs to get hurt, and uh, and that's uh, uh, then elevate Rojo. Well, listen, you, we, we've uh, we've gone overboard, and it really have enjoyed the conversation with with uh, you guys and with uh, Jesse Newell and Sam McDowell. We'll bid farewell for today, and we will rejoin the conversation. I wanted to get to Harrison Butker. We we didn't have a chance to do that today. We'll. Uh, we'll see where that stands uh, with the with the Jaguars game on Sunday. Whether he's uh, uh, if it's if this malaise continues for Butker or whether he has solved it. So that'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production crew of Monty Davis, George Howard, Randy Mason, and Jeff Rosen. Tip of the cap to Sam McDowell, Jesse Newell, and Herbie Teope for sharing their insights. Forty three pages in today's morning sports edition. Best digital sports page in America. Check it out at liveedition.kansascity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC, where we talk sports in Kansas City every day. Every day.